On his 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Thanks for tuning in for our review of Don't Worry, Darling, all the drama. We have a red carpet segment later. Ooh. Yeah. We're going to be breaking it all down. We've, we're trying to be a little bit more topical here. Appeal to the youngins. We will do a John Boy Media-esque breakdown of that Harry Styles, Chris Pine video. More importantly, the collar. Do you see the collar on Harry Styles? Wild. Insane. See what I did there? Wild. Olivia Wild. Anyway. Oh, with an E. That's good. Sure. We're, that's our, the E was implied. We, we're going to have a pop culture segment from here on out. What, you know, just to keep the young audience engaged. Right. That That's Is what that, the people want when yeah. they turn into the Orioles podcast. Exactly. Uh, Brendan, uh, no softball update, no softball yesterday. Uh, but my trip to New Orleans was great. Thank you for asking. You're so welcome. Had a, had a, I cared so deeply. An absolute blast, let me tell you. What a, what a city. The gumbo to die for. But you missed the LSU-Florida State game. I know. I had to, I had to work. Yeah. I had to come back. On Labor Day? On Labor Day. That's against the rules. That's, that's what the day is for. It's for laboring. Sure. It's that's why what everybody says. It's aptly named. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk on this podcast primarily about the most valuable Oriole debate because today is actually the deadline for media members to vote for the most valuable Oriole, their th- top three candidates. But first, Brendan, doubleheader sweep at the hands of the Blue Jays yesterday. Very tough day for the Orioles. And I know a lot of Orioles fans are waking up today feeling a lot worse about this team's playoff chances. They're four and a half games back in the AL wildcard race. I just want to say the season's not over yet. Still plenty of time. Still eight matchups between the Orioles and Blue Jays left in the regular season. But also, this is not the end of the world. This is kind of what we expected, that a young team that is built on guys who are between the ages of 21 and 27 without much you know, great experience to speak of at the big league level would struggle down the stretch when faced with very veteran teams like the Toronto Blue Jays. So well, you were also dealt a very tough hand yesterday. Jordan Lyles was supposed to start game one of the doubleheader with Mike Bauman starting game two. Jordan Lyles was scratched from game one with an illness. So Mike Bauman starts game one. It actually looks pretty good. I thought Bauman was solid and it was certainly encouraging for his big league prospects. And then Jordan Lyles was supposed to be starting game two because Brandon Hyde and Lyles thought that just pushing his start back by a few hours, he would get over the illness, he would be good to go. He's not able to start game two, so you go to a combination of Keegan Aiken and Bruce Zimmerman who get roughed up. So it's a tough hand to deal with when you have to change starting pitchers for a very important two-game set, and you can't. You have to be really careful with your bullpen arms in a doubleheader. You can't waste a bunch of guys in game one. Yeah. You can't even really waste a bunch of guys in game two. So we saw at the end of game one, D.L. Hall comes in, and Brandon Hyde just needed him to finish out that game. Pitches a good eighth inning, and then just got demolished in the ninth, wasn't able to record an out. So at that point, you kind of need to sweep that game under the rug. Game one was closer than the score indicated. Game two really was not. Yeah, both games go down as 
tough losses to swallow at this point in the year. And especially the Orioles are going through a stretch where they're playing a lot of games in very few days. So teams often get off on Mondays. Nope, the Orioles got a doubleheader on Monday. They still have two more games in this series with which to make up the ground, and then they hit the road. So they are trying to salvage at least two games of this series, but they are hurting from a lack of depth right now that hopefully teams in 2023 and beyond won't be having these kinds of depth issues at this point in the season, but just the reality of how this roster is constructed, they don't quite have the pitching depth to be able to get through a disaster of a day like yesterday and come out unscathed. They, when anything like that happens where their veteran starter who's supposed to eat innings gets scratched at the last minute, the hope is in future seasons they'll be able to have more depth to weather that storm. But as of now, they're just not constructed with enough depth. I mean, Bruce Zimmerman was not on this big league team until right before game two started. So, and then he was being asked to eat up the majority of that game. You threw two pitchers who were starting in the minors a week ago. Exactly. So, this is okay. It's to be expected. And by the same token, offensively, we've seen Gunnar Henderson struggle slightly. We saw him struggle in the field. One, I think that we're also getting a better understanding of why the Orioles trust Rugnet Odor so much defensively. Say what you want about his offense. But yes, he makes some mistakes, but Rugnet Odor day-to-day, play-to-play, is probably going to be a little bit more consistent than a 21-year-old rookie who really hasn't pl- played much second base in his entire minor league career, really only five or six games there. So you're expecting to take some lumps defensively with a 21-year-old who's barely played second base. I'd still rather start Gunnar Henderson every day. And that's why they're doing it. But growing pains are to be expected. He lit the world on fire for the first two games that he played, but it was two games. Yeah, And so you needed to expect some growing pains from Gunnar Henderson, just like we saw from Adley Rutschman. But one more point I want to make about the two games yesterday... Well, a few points I want to make. A, like you said, there are a lot of games left against the Blue Jays. They still might be able to split this series. They probably need to take at least one of these next two games, but there's still a chance that they could take the next two, split the series, and get back to two and a half games back, which is right where they were at the beginning of this series. And the Blue Jays coming into the year were World Series contenders. This is a team that is underperforming, just looking at the fact that they are kind of in a fight for the final wildcard spot in the American League, given the talent that they acquired in the offseason, you would expect this Toronto team to be a lot more than four and a half games up on the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. They are underperforming this season, and as we get into September, I think we're just starting to see a team with a big payroll and a lot of talent start to win out a little bit more. And the Orioles, if they go through a September swoon, so to speak, and they are kind of knocked out of the race earlier than expected, the hope is that that leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth going into next year, the players, so that they come out in 2023 and say, we're really hungry for this thing. We know that it was right there in front of us and we couldn't take it. But you just said earlier than expected, earlier than expected for the Orioles to be knocked out of the playoff race would have been like June. Exactly. Coming into this season. They are here. They are in a playoff race in September. I don't think it should leave a sour taste in fans' mouths because this whole season, like we said months ago, was already a success. But you're hoping that the players kind of learn from this experience that if they don't make the playoffs, then they go into next year especially eager to start out the season hot 
go right out of the gate and maybe get themselves in a better position heading into September. Yeah, if this team has a different April, then maybe they are yeah. in a wild card spot right now. And the this is not like the 2017 Orioles where they went through their September swoon because that was the back end of the competitive Orioles teams that won the most games in the American League for five straight years. And you were starting to see the cracks in the facade. And that's when 2018 they came out and they really struggled and they blew it all up by midseason. This is a different circumstance. This is just, it's almost like, and again, I'm not counting them out yet. The season's not over, but you do worry about them running out of a little bit of gas. So that is the concern. But like you said, Brendan, If this team had a more competitive April and May, perhaps they would be a lot closer to a playoff spot right now. The biggest difference between the teams that we saw in April and May and the team that we're seeing now is Adley Rushman. And that is why he is going to be our vote for most valuable Oriole. And I don't think it's particularly close. We're going to go through our ballots, reveal our ballots. Are you okay with unsealing Yeah, I mean, we did accidentally get a vote in this accidentally yeah Yeah. i mean i don't know how we got stuck they accidentally send us the email and they're like well we don't want to take it away that would be mean yeah and then i replied and they were like oh man uh well i guess we got to count it maybe maybe this counts as like a half vote it should yeah yeah uh so we're gonna reveal our ballots so like i said we get a first place vote we get a second place vote we get a third place vote but brendan you and i both and i think the vast majority of media members if not all of them will have adley rutschman at the top of our ballot it's weird to – the first argument is going to be the Orioles' record since Adley Rutschman has gotten promoted. And before we got on this podcast, you and I were talking with our producer, Tim Leonard, and kind of making the joke that, you know, the Angels have Shohei Otani, and their record doesn't really show anything to reflect that. They have Mike Trout, and their record doesn't really show anything to reflect that. So the Orioles' record with Adley Rutschman being 55-40 and 40 since May 21st, the day of his debut – is significant, but it's also important to keep in mind that one player's performance doesn't really make the difference. But I do think you can make the argument that while it might not just be Adley Rutschman's performance making the difference, he has influenced the team in such a way to improve this record. Not only has he been fantastic at the plate, but he is one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball already, if not just flat out one of the best catchers in all of baseball. So he has been able to impact the pitching staff in such a way as well, where the Orioles have been able to win a lot more games. So I think when you're looking at, okay, how much does one singular player have to do with a team's record? I think Adley Rutschman has way more influence than most. Correlation does not equal causation. And Adley Rutschman debuting the third week of May and the Orioles beginning their hot streak doesn't mean that it is all Adley Rutschman. But by the same token, the Orioles are a better team when Adley Rutschman is playing. Absolutely. As opposed to when he is not playing. I mean, you look at the numbers. They were 16 and 24 on May 20th, the day before Adley Rutschman debuted. They're 55 and 40 cents. Overall, they're 51 and 36 with him, and they are 20 and 28 without him. So they are a better team, and it's not a coincidence. And the eye test backs it up. It's very difficult for us to... We can look at some metrics when it comes to defensive catching. When it's pitch framing on StatCast, we can look at stolen base attempts and how often he's throwing guys out. But there's also stuff that you can't quite measure yet, and that is how he's calling a game, how much confidence he's giving a pitcher on the mound, 
how much work he's putting in between starts with pitchers and discussing how to attack hitters, how much he's in the film room looking at scouting reports. That kind of stuff from everything that we've heard has been off the charts. And we can't quite measure that stuff just yet. But it's pretty clear that the results are in, and he's doing extremely well in those areas as well. And it's a big reason why the Orioles pitching staff is having this incredible, surprising year. Yeah, Rutschman is in the 90th percentile, according to StatCast, in pitch framing. He is also pretty high up in the majors in strike percentage, which, again, is a little hard to measure because how much of that has to do with which pitchers he is catching and how much of it is framing or calling the game. But you can tell there is a difference when Adley Rutschman is catching a game. There are some calls that Adley Rutschman gets that other catchers in baseball just would not. So not only is he performing well at the plate, exceptionally well at the plate, as a rookie with an OPS close to 800, a fantastic strikeout-to-walk ratio, but he is also managing this pitching staff incredibly well, not only for a rookie, but just for a catcher in baseball in general. And the fact that Adley Rutschman is only going to improve and get better is scary. We almost don't talk about him enough on this podcast because he's just consistently good. Yeah. At this age, at this level of big league experience, we thought and hoped and heard that he could become this guy. But for him to be this guy already, this early in his major league career, is pretty incredible. Really, only his first 20 games in the big league experience was when he was struggling offensively. 13 hits in his first 20 games. Remember, there were some small, tiny portion of the Orioles fan base that was calling for him to be sent back down to the minors, which, of course, was very premature. He had 18 strikeouts to just six walks. Didn't have an RBI, if you recall, in those first 20 games. Then on June 15th, he hit his first big league homer against the Toronto Blue Jays, and literally everything changed. It felt like there was a weight lifted off his shoulder. Since then, he's hitting 272, nine homers, 43 strikeouts to 42 walks. Like you mentioned, Brendan, the plate discipline has been remarkable. He's hitting the ball incredibly hard. We saw last night that teams are now going with four-man outfields when facing Adley Rutschman, and there's a massive gap between third base and second base, and guess what? He hits it where they ain't, as they right. say, and just puts the ball. He can place the ball where he wants to with power. It's not like he's just bunting down the third base line to avoid a shift. He's hitting the ball hard through the hole. He's only going to get better, and... I think it's remarkable that he is this good already for a guy that joined the team the third week of May to be the runaway most valuable Oriole as a rookie is something special. There's a legitimate case to be made that Adley Rutschman is the best catcher in baseball. I'm not ready to quite make that argument yet because he hasn't played that many games. But when you look around the league, there's guys like Alejandro Kirk, Will Smith, Adley Rutschman is in that conversation, and I don't think he's going to win Rookie of the Year because he doesn't have the counting stats that Julio Rodriguez has, but I think Adley Rutschman is pound for pound the best rookie in baseball. What does pound for pound mean? I don't know. The boxing thing. <laughs> but he is the best rookie in baseball. Regardless of whether or not he has the counting stats, I know that will probably get Julio Rodriguez the Rookie of the Year, but Adley Rutschman is better. All right. That's my take. And also, Julio and Rodriguez made the big league roster out of opening day, so he's got a, right. little, a little bit more sample size at the big league level. I think re regardless of who wins that award, 
those are two superstars <laughs> going right. forward, and it's pretty clear that those guys are going to be dudes in the big leagues for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't this didn't play into my most valuable Oriole voting all that much because I think the numbers by themselves clearly indicate that Adley Rutschman is the most valuable Oriole. But when you talk with Mike Elias, when you talk to members of the organization, it is clear that this rebuild is centered around Adley Rutschman. Yeah. And Adley Rutschman's play this season could be seen as kind of the turning point of this rebuild. Yeah. Where they go from a complete rebuild mode to here are the guys that we have been working so hard to develop, to acquire. They are here and they are ready to play good baseball. Adley Rutschman is at the face of all of that. And while that doesn't necessarily show up on the field outside of, you know, electricity in the clubhouse or just good vibes in the fan base, it is a value thing because this is the guy who is the face of the team, face of the rebuild, and he is the face of this franchise turning a corner. And you can trust him. He's a good person in the community. He's right. a good teammate. I mean, he checks all the boxes and there's going to be a lot of conversation i think coming up on the mass and all access podcast in the coming months about do you extend an athlete rutschman because he has been such a sure thing in just a small sample size in the big leagues that you already feel so confident in his long-term production so he's the he's the leader in f war in b war baseball reference fan graphs whatever outlet you're looking at he is the leader in wins above replacement he is to me the runaway mvo Yes. And I think that he will win. But there are other guys that are deserving of votes, of second-place votes, of third-place votes. And I think the race after Adley is pretty tight. And frankly, I had a hard time filling out my ballot with two and three. It took a lot of thinking, and I think that it's tough because it's September 6th, and there is a month left in the big league season. It's just how they have to organize the voting because they have to give out this award during the last homestand of the season sure they got to engrave the thing and everything so a lot can change over this last month of the season but we're filling out this ballot with the information that we have at hand and i'm curious brendan who did you have as the second vote getter behind adley rutschman second was tough there are i think four players that i had in consideration for the final two spots number two and number three the guy that i had in second was Felix Batista. And for Batista, look, I mean, the ERA is a 153 with 11 saves. He hasn't been used in high leverage situations for the entire season, but I was looking at a bunch of different things in terms of value for Batista. Right now, he is the best reliever on a unit that I think has been the best unit on this Orioles team. The bullpen has been the engine of a lot of the success that we have seen from the Baltimore Orioles this season. This was supposed to be a bottom bullpen in all of baseball, and yet they have looked like a top five, top ten bullpen in all of baseball. And I think Felix Bautista, along with Jorge Lopez in the first half of the season, were the two driving forces of that. There have been other very good bullpen arms, but you have been getting them now to Bautista in the ninth inning, and he's been able to close things out really consistently. While maybe numbers-wise, I wouldn't put him right at number two for most valuable Oriole, I would also say that 
if Felix Bautista isn't as good as he has been this year, the Orioles probably don't trade Jorge Lopez because you don't have a closer that you are entirely comfortable with, and so you don't get some good prospects in return, which plays into his value a little bit. Not a t- It didn't go into my voting a lot, but the confidence that you had in Bautista allowed you to move Jorge Lopez, allowed you to get valuable pieces in return. I know he's being used in incredibly high-leverage situations, but this is a conversation that has been going around baseball, I think, a lot over the last 10, 15 years, which is what value can you place on a great reliever, in particular, a great closer? You know, it, Mariano Rivera is in the Hall of Fame, and, you know, some of the greatest closers in baseball just got added, but it took a while yeah. for the national baseball writers to accept that closers can have a ton of value, even though they're not pitching nearly as many innings as starters. Bautista has 59 innings so far on the season. You compare that to some of the volume that is put up by some starters on this team, i.e. Jordan Lyles, and it doesn't come close. Right. But he's doing it in a very high leverage situation, and he's doing it very well. Almost 12 strikeouts per nine, .814 whip. Like you said, Brendan, wasn't really used as the full-time closer until Jorge Lopez was traded. The other question I have is how much... One, I think Jorge Lopez, if he were still on this team and still putting up the kind of production that he put up for the first half of the year, Jorge Lopez would be the second vote-getter. Absolutely. Behind Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Which isn't really a knock on Felix Bautista, but it also goes to show just how many guys in this bullpen are having great years. And it is awesome for Bautista to have this kind of year, and it is... Definitely a credit to him that he has been able to put together this kind of season. But you also do think you have all these guys having great years in the bullpen. And you just had Jorge Lopez become an all-star because he was pitching in this bullpen. And it's difficult to say Bautista maybe is the second most valuable player on this team when there uh, there was another reliever on this team who until the very beginning of August was the most valuable reliever. I mean, Bautista hasn't even been the most valuable reliever in the bullpen for more than two months. Sure. So if he's not even the most valuable member of that unit, I don't know if you can say that he's the most valuable. But now he has become, I think you could say. You take the entire season as a whole. Now that Jorge Lopez is no longer on the team, and by the way, you can't vote for anybody who is not still on the team. So Mancini, Lopez, those guys wouldn't be eligible for getting votes anyway. But now I think you could say Lopez or Bautista is the most valuable reliever that they have had from start to finish of the season. But on August 1st, he wasn't even the most valuable reliever in that bullpen. Sure. But at the same time, I think I'm weighing the last two months of the season a lot more than I'm weighing April. The last two months of the season... Since you know, maybe since the All Star break, those those games matter just as much. They as do once now, but the last two months we are seeing the Orioles in a playoff push. We are seeing higher high leverage situations in important games against division rivals that they need to win to stay within striking distance of a wild card game. And not to say that the first half of the season doesn't matter; those numbers absolutely do matter, but. I do tend to give Felix Bautista a little bit more credit because of what has happened in the second half of the year. Jorge Lopez was traded. You needed somebody in the bullpen to step up as your new closer. Felix Bautista has been pitching just as well in the second half 
as Jorge Lopez pitched in the first half, which is incredibly impressive. I also do worry a little bit with Bautista about a little bit of slippage in the final month of the season. Yeah, it, that could happen. It could happen to any one of these players on the list, and we're voting on September 6th, like I said, with still a month left. So any of these guys, their numbers could slip, and we could look ridiculous for voting for them if they go O for their last 40 or whatever. Right. But I think it's a little bit more risky when it comes to Bautista because he's a reliever, and if he comes in in a save opportunity and gives up three runs, that explodes his ERA much more than a few bad games would for an offensive player. But I can't also hold that against him because he hasn't done it yet. I can't you know, say he might fall off, so I'm not going to vote for him because right. he hasn't fallen off. But for me, Brendan, he deserved a vote. I gave him my third-place vote, but I did not give him my second-place vote. Well, Paul, who was your second-place vote? I'm so glad that you've asked. Cedric Mullins was my second-place vote, and I put a lot of thinking into this one. Because I didn't think, going into this, when I got the ballot, I thought Adley Rutschman's one. I thought Felix Bautista is going to be either two or three. And I thought I was going to put Jorge Mateo on the ballot. But then I looked at the numbers, Brendan. And I thought about the kind of impact that Cedric Mullins had on this team from start to finish. And I think that he might be hurt in this voting process by two factors. One is some voter fatigue. He won it last year. I know that's really... Not like we're talking about LeBron James not winning most valuable player because he's the best player every year and you get voter fatigue. But I think there is an element of that. And the other factor is the drop-off that he's had offensively from last year to this year. He's hitting 264, 13 homers, a 735 OPS going into yesterday. All of those numbers are lower than last year. By a pretty large margin. He was hitting in the 290s last year. Of course, he had 30 homers by season's end. Much higher OPS. But last year was so good that it's almost hard to compare Mullins' 2021 season to anything else because he was so head and shoulders above everybody else on that team, and he was an all-star starter. And so his numbers right now pale in comparison to the numbers that he put up last year, but they're still pretty good. And yeah. I think that when I compare them to Jorge Mateo's numbers overall and some of the other guys who we're going to talk about in just a bit, Mullins, to me, was deserving of the second-place vote. So Cedric Mullins didn't make my ballot. He was not number two or number three. Not because I don't think Cedric Mullins has had a good season, but because I had Adley Rutschman at number one, and then I had 3A, 3B, and 3C with Felix Bautista, Jorge Mateo, and Cedric Mullins. So Cedric Mullins falls just outside of the ballot for me, but you could convince me that Mullins should get a spot over Bautista or over Jorge Mateo, and I would probably agree with you because there are a lot of positives to look at with Cedric Mullins' season. You mentioned the drop-off. However, I'd counter that with the fact that Cedric Mullins is still a really good player. This is not a one-hit wonder who had a fantastic season in 2021 and then fell off the map. I think this season, if anything, is pretty encouraging for Mullins to just show you, hey, you know what? This is how good Cedric Mullins can consistently be. Maybe last year will be a bit of an outlier with the power numbers, but he's still an incredibly valuable player. This is still a centerpiece of this Orioles team. He will be a consistent leadoff hitter, your consistent center fielder. He is excellent defensively. He has been pretty good offensively. 
hasn't really been streaky this year, which has been kind of nice. We'll get to some other players later that have been incredibly streaky. And he's improved in the second half as well. Had a 700-ish OPS in the first half of the season and then an 825-ish OPS in the second half, which again, as the Orioles continue to make a playoff push, Cedric Mullins has stepped up when the Orioles needed him to. So he was right there on the ballot for me. It was a tough decision to make that 2-3-4 choice, but Mullins comes in for me as kind of the number four. To me, the advanced stats also help his case. Second in wins above replacement, according to both baseball reference and fan graphs, by a pretty large margin in both areas. He made strides forward defensively, which, frankly, we knew his arm was in need of help, but his range was certainly not in need of improvements, and yet it feels like he's getting to even more baseballs this year than he did last year. So he gives you a baseline of competency and pretty much superb play in in center field. His arm is now, I would say, close to league average for a center fielder, which is remarkable to say considering how much of a detriment it was last year. And then the stolen bases. He's been back and forth with Jorge Mateo near the top of the American League in stolen bases, 29 on the year. He's going to get to those 30 stolen bases regardless of whether he gets to those those 30 homers like he did last year. I don't think that's going to happen. But he's a consistent threat on the base paths. And he's leading the team another small thing. In games played, he's batting leadoff almost every night. You think about what value that kind of player brings to you, and it's a whole lot. And it may not be as noticeable as jump off the page, as flashy as Jorge Mateo or some of the other candidates that we'll talk about, but he's giving you a solid baseline of production every night. And I know that Brandon Hyde really appreciates Cedric Mullins' consistent play from night in and night out. And like you said, Brendan, improved somewhat over the second half of the year, but also was pretty steady from start to finish. So that guy being in your lineup is certainly a help from start to finish. And as so many rookies and young guys have debuted and been taking steps up and been given bigger roles throughout the season, he has been a consistent veteran in the outfield and also in the lineup. And not to mention the clubhouse. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear that Cedric Mullins is one of, if not the leader on this team, not an incredibly vocal guy, but is one of those players that very clearly leads by example, leads by his work ethic, the way he plays day in and day out. And without having a Trey Mancini in this clubhouse anymore, I think Cedric Mullins is one of the players that you have to turn to as not only a little bit more of a veteran presence, but somebody who has had fantastic seasons before. Somebody that you look at and say, hey, if I want to have success at the big league level, who's an example? Yeah. And it's Cedric Mullins. And another guy who went through struggles. So if right? any rookies are going through some struggles, they can go to Cedric Mullins and say, hey, how the heck did you get over that 2018 season when you went all the way back down to Bowie? How did you collect yourself right. and improve upon the things that you needed to improve on without your mental state just imploding on you? Right. And that's very valuable for guys who, like we said, are probably going to have their their share of lumps over the next few months. One knock on him, I will say, we've seen, especially recently, as this team has gotten deeper, that Mullins has not been used as often against left-handed pitchers. Yep. And how valuable can you say a guy is if you can't write him in the lineup every single day because you're worried about the splits? However, to me, that's not a big enough knock because, yes, he has to probably get fewer at-bats against left-handed pitchers, but also think about value perspective, where would this team be without him? 
And if he has not been with this team from start to finish in the season, and you had to go with Ryan McKenna, there's no way Ryan McKenna would be putting this kind of production up if he were in an everyday role. He's been very good as a bench piece. He's been very good against lefties. But if he had to start every single day, there's no way that McKenna would be this good right now. Or you'd have to move Austin Hayes to center, who, yes, he, Austin Hayes is a great arm, but his range is not nearly as good as Cedric Mullins. So Mullins does bring you a whole lot of value, especially when you look at the beginning of the season when this team wasn't quite as deep in the outfield. That's funny that you mentioned that, Paul, because it's one of the things that I considered when voting on third place and why I voted for Jorge Mateo. Okay. This is not, as you mentioned, it is not a knock on Cedric Mullins because if you turn to either Austin Hayes or Ryan McKenna in center field every day, it is a downgrade. Both probably offensively and defensively, you are getting worse there. But... Worst case scenario, if you do not have Cedric Mullins for whatever reason, Ryan McKenna is a serviceable center fielder. He is great defensively. He has been consistently pretty good against left-handed pitching this year. You'd feel okay with Ryan McKenna in center. You'd feel okay with Austin Hayes in center field as well. Maybe you would call up Kyle Stowers a little bit earlier, put him in left field, move Austin Hayes over to center. Not to say that the team would be better by any stretch if Cedric Mullins was not your everyday center fielder, but the team would be okay. When you look at the shortstop position, Jorge Mateo has locked that spot down in a way that none of us expected this year. And what is the scenario where Jorge Mateo doesn't lock down shortstop? Right now, you could say it's Gunnar Henderson, but we're in September. Jorge Mateo locking down this spot allowed the Orioles to continue to develop Gunnar Henderson, and Jordan Westberg in the way that they wanted to down in the minors. It also allowed them to not have to just figure it out at shortstop. Ramon Arias was not very good there defensively in the brief showcase that we got from him. And you didn't have to call up a Richie Martin who has not found much success in the big leagues at shortstop. You didn't have to turn to Jonathan Arauz, somebody else that you're not all that confident in at the shortstop position. So if Jorge Mateo hadn't been playing the way that he has been playing this season, the shortstop position is a mess. And I think that adds to his value along with just how great he has been defensively. It's tough because that's one of those things that's out of all these players' control. Right. Is how much depth there is at the positions behind them. But that does play into value. And to me, I do think that that is the biggest case for Jorge Mateo is that having somebody come in and lock down shortstop as a waiver claim addition last year that the Orioles were certainly high on internally in-house. But let's be honest, you get pick up a guy in a waiver claim, you don't expect him to be an everyday contributor at the most valuable defensive position on the diamond. And yet he has done that. And I do think the case that you can make for Jorge Mateo is remove him from this team from opening day onward. And yeah, you're looking at, subpar defense from Ramon Urias, and you're looking at Richie Martin getting a whole lot more playing time at the big league level, a guy who's not even in, uh, on the big league 40-man roster anymore. So I think that that position, like you said, would be in a lot, a lot worse shape had it not been for Jorge Mateo. To me, I couldn't put him on my ballot. I really wanted to put Jorge Mateo on my ballot. But then I looked at, he's sixth on the team in war, according to baseball reference. He's third, according to Fangraphs, behind Mullins in both areas, and of course behind Rutschman. 
and I looked at his offensive numbers for the entire season. 228 average, 672 OPS, 12 homers, 124 strikeouts to just 23 walks. Yes, he is going back and forth with Mullins in stolen bases, and now he is 30. But which also, leads the American League. Which leads the American League, but it's also just one more than Cedric Mullins. And by the end of the yeah. season, Mullins could be the leader in the American League. And yes, he is bringing you a ton of value defensively. I know he's been absolutely outstanding. I can't say enough good things about what he has done defensively for you. But the offensive numbers for me, I just couldn't quite stomach when you look at the season overall. The offensive numbers are not great, but he has improved in the second half offensively. Yes. The defense, as you mentioned, has been unbelievable. And not only has the defense been unbelievable, but it's been that consistently good at probably the most, if not the second most valuable defensive position on the diamond. Yeah. You can look at shortstop and catcher as probably the two most valuable defensive positions on the diamond. I think third so, is center field. Third is center field. Absolutely. So it's tough because a lot of the numbers that I look at for Jorge Mateo, Cedric Mullins is either right there or better. And I understand the numbers argument, but the fact that there was no depth behind him at the position, I think just gives Mateo a little bit more value. And to add some more context to his second half improvements, he's hitting 270 in the second half compared to 205 in the first half. His on-base percentage has jumped about 50 points. His slugging percentage has jumped 120 points. And his OPS has jumped 170 points. Yeah, I mean, he's hitting 281 with an 824 OPS since July 12th. But what you're conveniently forgetting there, Brendan, or not mentioning, is that he was hitting below the Mendoza line before that. He was. So that's that's April, May, June, and July. That's four-month sample size where he was offensively a detriment. Frankly, to your lineup. So, yes, he has been very good. I mean, the second half of the season was a month and a half ago. It was, you know, six, seven weeks ago. Yeah. So it's not the biggest sample size. It's 40 games. And and it's, um, um, it's exciting for the future. I'm not taking that away from him. I think that that is his development also is so exciting. It's probably more exciting going forward than this kind of season that Mullins gave you because you knew that Mullins was already going to give you a baseline of production pretty much. But to see Mateo have this surprising season is certainly more encouraging going forward. But I just don't want to be victim of just because this guy is better than my expectations by a lot. And Mullins, frankly, not he was right in line with my expectations, but probably lower than a lot of fans' expectations. I don't want to compare him to where I thought they would be going into the year and saying because he's so much better than what I thought. I'm just trying to look at how good was he. And to me, he just wasn't quite as good as Mullins. And I'm going to give Mullins the edge because the depth behind these guys at those positions isn't something that's under their control. Yeah, absolutely. And Cedric Mullins has been putting up better numbers because, like I mentioned, pretty much everywhere that Jorge Mateo has an advantage over Cedric Mullins. It is slim, and Cedric Mullins has an advantage in a lot of other areas. This voting, for me, just kind of came down to the fact that I thought the numbers were close enough where Mateo got a slight edge because of the not-on-the-field measurable things. Yeah, I don't think the offensive numbers are close, though. That's what I'll say. 228 batting average, 672 OPS as compared to... They're not all that close, but I don't... 264 and 735. But I don't think the defensive numbers are all that close either. I think Mateo gives you a lot more value at shortstop 
then Cedric Mullins gives you value defensively in center field, which is not to say that Cedric Mullins isn't excellent defensively in center. He is. Mateo is just one of the best defensive shortstops in all of baseball at arguably one of, if not the most important defensive position. Yeah, that's fair. Also interesting that they're both 27 years old. These guys are in weirdly different stages of their career at this point, and they are both looking like pieces of the future. Yeah. So I, I definitely don't have any qualms with anybody putting Jorge Mateo on the ballot because, like I said, I, I wanted to. I really wanted to. And he has been a breakout star on this team. And the improvements that he made at the plate, especially in the second half, give you a lot of encouraging feelings about going into next year. But you're right. I think a lot of this voting... Will prob- if Jorge Mateo gets more votes than Cedric Mullins, I think it'll probably be votes similar to mine where you are voting based on a, a lot of the feelings surrounding the guys, yeah. where Jorge Mateo has vastly overperformed expectations, and maybe Cedric Mullins is underperforming a little bit based on what you thought he would produce at the beginning of the year. And look, I put together a lot of these highlight reels that we're showing right now, if you're watching live on Facebook or on YouTube, and if you're not, you should be watching after the fact as well on Facebook and YouTube. And Jorge Mateo has had the longest highlight reel that I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. It's way longer than anybody else on the team. He makes incredible plays every single day. It's like an eight-minute highlight reel. It's the, ridiculous. The last point I'll make to about Jorge Mateo before we move on, there was a previous podcast where I talked about the three biggest reasons that the Orioles have improved this year being pitching, defense, and athleticism. I think you can make the case that Jorge Mateo is the most athletic and the best defender. Yeah, but the problem is they improved a lot going into this year, but also Mullins was on this team last year. Exactly. So it's not like they were adding him. He was just already there. Um, All right, the other candidates that I think that we can discuss, because we did have to do a third-place vote, and I had Felix Bautista as my third-place vote. I had Cedric Mullins as my second-place vote. But, Brendan, you mentioned Adley Rutschman had one. You mentioned yep. Felix Bautista had two. You had Jorge Mateo as three. Yep. Who just missed the ballot other than Cedric Mullins for you? Anthony Santander just missed my ballot. And the biggest reason is just that he hasn't been very good defensively, and he's been DHing a lot of games. Yeah. And that just takes away from your value. But Anthony Santander, over the last month plus, since the All-Star break, since the trade deadline, really, has continued to make the case that he has a a valid case to be on this ballot. And I think the biggest reason for me to look at Anthony Santander as a potential most valuable Oriole is that when the Orioles traded Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander has kind of been the guy in the middle of the lineup. Adley Rutschman has pretty consistently been hitting second, so I don't really count him as the middle of the lineup, but of course he has been excellent as well. Ryan Mountcastle has not been hitting very well. Austin Hayes has not been hitting very well. And when you are looking at the middle of the lineup, it's kind of just Anthony Santander right now that is consistently hitting home runs, that is consistently giving you solid power numbers. And I don't know where this team is offensively without Anthony Santander in the lineup consistently. And we were talking about him as a potential trade piece, of course, right at the deadline. He's just 27, turns 28 in about a month, I believe. And yes, he's much farther along in his contract status. But I'll tell you right now, Brendan, I would have a lot harder time 
trading Santander, not just because of what he's done, but also because of how much we've seen struggles from other big bats in the lineup. Yeah. Austin Hayes, like we said, I mean, at this point, three months ago, I would have said Austin Hayes is going to be in consideration for most valuable Oriole. He wasn't really close to cracking my ballot this year. No. Because of how much he has struggled at the plate. And when you have Santander buoying this offense like he has been, leading the team in home runs, leading the team in OPS, he's really keeping them afloat offensively. Yeah. Because it's not like he's just another guy in a in a lineup full of absolute power haters. He's really the heart and soul of this lineup right now. It almost feels like 2020 in a way, where if he's not hitting home runs and you don't get a couple nice games from other guys, you're not going to put together a great offensive game. So he has been crucial for this offense. To me, though, like you said, Brendan, the case for Santander being on the ballot falls apart when you look at the defense because by all metrics, he has been below average defensively, minus five defensive run saved, according to fan graphs. And especially when you compare him with the two other guys that he shares the outfield with, sometimes three with McKenna, next to Mullins, next to Hayes, Santander is by far the worst defensive outfielder of that group. And he doesn't give you anything on the base paths, like a Mullins, like a Mateo, like a Hayes, like anybody else really that we're in, we're talking about here. So he's really one faceted. He's really good at that one facet of the game and he's been terrific for them. And it's going to make it a lot harder for us to have these conversations about do you trade Anthony Santander in the offseason? But also, it is just one facet of this game. Yeah, Vivek on YouTube asking, is Santander the best offensive player on the team? I'd still give that edge to Adley Rutschman, who leads the team in OPS and has 30 fewer strikeouts than Anthony Santander with more walks. So I would still give that edge to Rutschman, but... Anthony Santander has 27 home runs compared to Rutschman's 10. Leads the team in homers. Ryan Mountcastle is second with 21. Also leads the team in RBIs with 77. And Ryan Mountcastle is in second in that category as well with 73. So I think Anthony Santander has a pretty legitimate case to be called the second best offensive player on this team. I don't know if I'm going to put him ahead of Adley Rutschman. Yeah, but I think the gap between two and the field is pretty big. Absolutely. Right now, which is unfortunate because I think we were hoping, the Orioles may be hoping as well, that Ryan Malcastle would be more consistent offensively, that he would be your second or third best player, and it would be pretty close between him and Rutschman, between him and Santander. It's just not. Yeah, Ryan Malcastle was, I believe, my off-season vote for most valuable Oriole. I had Austin Hate or I had John Means, unfortunately, who knows what kind of season he would be having. I think Austin Hayes was my, you know, runner-up in terms of my guess for who would win MVO. And frankly, Austin Hayes has been, like we said, it's been a disappointing second half, and it leaves you with a lot more questions than answers when you look at his long-term future going into the offseason. A few months ago, we were talking about why Austin Hayes wasn't getting more all-star votes, that it was, he was, you know, he was kind of a, a disappointment that Austin Hayes wasn't getting more votes because he was putting up the numbers and the fan votes just weren't really recognizing him. Yep. And then he's kind of fallen off. He was leading baseball in outfield assists. Right. In July, he had an OPS of 566. And in August, he had an OPS of 638. Yeah. And for a team that's making a playoff push, Austin Hayes is supposed to be one of the best players on the team. And you can't have those kind of OPS numbers when the Orioles are right in the thick of a playoff race. Yeah. Uh, other guys that I think you could consider... 
to me, no pitchers other than Felix Bautista would be deserving of a vote. I mean, I think that Jordan Lyles has been valuable if you look at the definition of valuable to this team. I mean, 152 and a third innings pitched. Yeah, that's great. Compared to every other starter is at best in the 90s. The, the, the question, though, is the quality of innings. And you can throw a lot of innings with not great results, as we saw yesterday right. from pitchers. So it's the quality of the innings. And he's been fine. I mean... ERA around 430, I believe. Yeah, 425 ERA. So that's fine. But, and I'm sure that Brandon Hyde would say, yeah, he's been incredibly valuable. He's said that on many occasions. But to me, he just doesn't quite bring you as much value as some of the other guys. And then offensively, I think only one other candidate you could even mention the name of, and that would be Ramon Arias because he's third on the team according to baseball reference in war, uh, fifth according to fan graphs. 11 defensive runs saved at third base yeah. this year. Remarkable production defensively from Ramon Arias that none of us expected. He has turned into, at the beginning of the season, we both said, maybe it was more of me, but I said, I'm not really comfortable putting Ramon Arias at third base. I mean, that's a second baseman. And well, he didn't yeah. look that comfortable at third base at he, the beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden, he just got really good at it. Yeah. Out of nowhere. He's, he's a prototypical second baseman, not a prototypical third baseman. No, not at you know, all. He's not a huge power hitter. You like a little bit more power from that. You like a, probably bigger guys, typically. I think of a Kobe Mayo is, yeah, I mean, Mayo's a little bit too big probably for third base, but you look at those guys that are that big and they're power hitting Pablo Sandoval types. Urias doesn't fit that bill, but also he's been very good defensively. I think defensive run saved is the only statistic that year to year is going to vary a lot because, look, a few years ago, and you saw Anthony Santander gave you eight defensive runs saved in 2020 defensively in the corner outfield. Now he's giving you negative five. Ryan Mountcastle was giving you in the negatives last year. Now he's way above the positive line for defensive runs saved. So I think that we'll see if it's something that will continue if he gets more playing opportunity. But I do give him a lot of credit because he has been very good defensively. He's taken a lot of strides in the field. Yeah, the reason that I didn't really put a ton of consideration into Ramon Arias is because he's, he's not really the best on the team at anything. If you're going to look at his offensive numbers, he's kind of middle of the pack in average, in power numbers, in OPS. If you look at him defensively, he's kind of middle of the pack in terms of the elite defenders that we think of on this team, like Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins, he's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the 29-30 stolen bases that Mullins and Mateo have. He's been consistently pretty good, did have a little bit of a cold stretch, but has been picking it up a little bit more as of late. He's just kind of middle in the pack of a lot of things, which is valuable. It he is. is consistent across the board. He is a good player across the board, but there isn't really anything that just jumps out at you and wows you about what Ramona Rios has done this season. Good utility player. Fantastic. Going forward. Yeah. And he is going to be under team control for a lot more years. I think he could be very valuable on this team, even when Gunnar Henderson is giving getting everyday reps probably at third base, I think, next year with Mateo at shortstop. Then you're looking at second base as a Jordan Westberg territory, maybe. Yeah. Karen Vavra getting some playing time over there. And, and that's already starting to happen a little yeah. bit with Ramon Arias getting some more looks at second base as Gunnar Henderson plays third a little bit. And frankly, you don't know. One, Rugnet Odor is an impending free agent. Probably not going to bring him back. You don't know if Taron Vavra can be an everyday player. But he's a lefty. Arias is a righty. 
And you don't know when Jordan Westberg is going to be ready to get the call next year. I think the Orioles would like to see him have a good spring training and maybe crack the opening day roster. But if he's not ready, Urias could be quite valuable for a team that is looking to win games starting in April. Yeah, and this is kind of a tangent for a different podcast, but as the Orioles start to call up some more top prospect talent, I think you're going to see a lot of players who have been getting, if not everyday starts, close to everyday starts, being really valuable on this team over the next few seasons. And I think Ramon Arias is one of those players where he has been good enough this season because of the talent that is on the team to be an everyday starter over at third base. He has performed well. And then once you get more of an influx of talent, maybe Ramon Arias moves to the bench, but he's still getting relatively consistent playing time when guys need an off day at second base or third base. And all of a sudden, he goes from maybe an average everyday starter to a very good bench piece. So we just revealed our most valuable Oriole ballots, Brendan. You went with Rutschman, Bautista, Mateo. I went with Rutschman, Mullins, Bautista. What do you think the voters will do? Other than Rutschman at one, who do you think will garner the most second place and third place votes? I think second and third place is going to be incredibly mixed. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Adley Rutschman, I think, is going to be the runaway vote at number one. I think he is going to win most valuable Oriole in a landslide because it is tough to make a case for anybody else. If I had to guess... I think second place will be Felix Bautista just because of how valuable he has been down the stretch. I think naturally when you are voting on this kind of thing, there's a little bit of recency bias because the results over the last few months are obviously going to be a little bit more fresh in your memory than the beginning of the season. So I think Bautista will be second and I think Cedric Mullins will be third because I think when it comes down to it, Mateo is, as I mentioned, we already broke down the reasons that I had Jorge Mateo in third. A lot of it don't have to do with on-the-field reasons. Yeah. So I think Cedric Mullins will get the edge at number three. So if I had to guess, I think it'll go Rutschman, Batista, Mullins. I think that Mullins and Mateo might be a little bit more polarizing, whereas Bautista is very good, and everybody acknowledges it. But there's a clear hole in Mateo's game that might make it very difficult for some people to even have him on the ballot, and that's offense. And there might be a lot of voter fatigue when it comes to Mullins. So those yeah. two might kind of cancel each other out. Because if you look at our ballots, we both had those guys, you know, we each had one of those guys on our ballots. Maybe voters are split. And they say, well, I got to give a vote to Bautista. And I'm torn between Mullins and Mateo. So I think that if you look at the, the who is going to get a lot of votes, whether it's second place or third place votes, I do think Bautista could benefit from that. And then it's a toss up between Mateo or Mullins. So my list of players that I think will get second or third place votes is Bautista, Mullins, Mateo, Santander. I think Hayes might think so. get some. I think Jordan Lyles might get some. Other players outside of that, I mean, maybe Mountcastle because of the counting stats, but I don't think he will. Maybe CNL Perez. I mean, he has a 153 ERA as well. Yeah. So maybe Perez, if you're looking at another bullpen arm, I can't really imagine any other player getting votes at this point. I can't either, but then again, maybe Urias. I've seen some strange results from the most valuable Oriole voting in previous years, and there are guys that show up in people's votes that you would never imagine, but 
yet some people have strong opinions. And, uh, you know, it's like every time you get a write-in for Mickey Mouse in the presidential ballot, and boy, he's going to get you a couple million votes across the country. Nick Saban might get a couple hundred Uh, in Alabama. More than a couple hundred, frankly. Uh, Well, look, the nice thing about this podcast, Paul, is that if there are any ridiculous names on the most valuable Oriole ballot as getting a second or a third place vote is now out in the open that those ridiculous names didn't come from us. Or Unless could, you think our names are ridiculous, in or, which case... Or whatever. we're lying. Or, we're, you know, we sent in a totally different ballot. Yeah. I had Marilyn Monroe, Mickey Mouse, Nick Saban. That's my one, two, three. I like that. Uh, let us know who you think should win Most Valuable Oriole and who you think should get the second and third place votes in particular. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast. Of course, you can catch the Masson All Access podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud. Please give us five stars as well. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube, a like anywhere that you see the Masson All Access podcast. Share it with your friends as well. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. For Brennan Mortensen, I'm Paul Mancano, and we will catch you next time.